Welcome to the Clam Jammers Podcast, the semi-erotic podcast exploring the strange world of smut and kitsch in all its forms. Welcome to the world of Shore, Miri, and put upon Penguin Crabsworth as they play, chat, and laugh their way through all of life's intimate topics. Come for the sex. Stay. Hello, everybody. It is Clam Jammers. We are back to clam your jams and hmm. <laughs> jam your clams i mean um i i as always am miri and with me is my lovely co-host shore hello everyone thank you for joining us again yeah um so may was a fun double episode where we had a fun one and a very serious <laughs> one i feel that that june's episode this episode is kind of straddling both it's a little bit of fun it's a little bit of serious i think it's a it's a a good balance here it's good balance um we are also talking about this episode is return of the sexy librarians and it's actually legitimately about a book (laughs) it is you you might say that it is uh our sexy book club (laughs) um sure would you like to introduce the book Yes. So we are going to be talking about Witches, Sluts, Feminists, Conjuring the Sex Positive, which is a book by Kristen. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, but Soleil. I would pronounce it that way. Um, yeah. So it's it's pretty much what's in the title. It's talking about the uh, history of the terms witches, sluts, and then feminists and how those words have been used um, throughout history. And yeah, it was a very interesting book. I enjoyed it very much. Uh, obviously, nonfiction. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, in case you didn't get that. Yeah, <laughs> it is nonfiction. Um, I do want to give a shout out for my favorite acronym in the book. I was thinking about this. There was a uh, a feminist group called Witch, but Witch is an acronym, and the initial one stood for Ahem, Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell. And I love I, that. I I love it, and I have to shout it out from the top because I think that is like it's just a great acronym guys like I, I can say no more about it so just had to give that shout out because that was my that was my little like my tiny gem my tiny gem right, all i right. have to do is mention it so but everything else is more serious than that yes um i wanted to start kind of again with like a disclaimer type thing and i'm going to read directly what it says in the book um, just kind of like an FYI for uh, extra clarity on, on what we're talking about. So what it says is, although many men and those on the masculine spectrum identify as witches and have historically been accused of witchcraft, this book specifically looks at the indivi- indivisible links between the witch, femininity and womanhood, which includes trans women and anyone on the feminine spectrum and the persecution women have faced as a result of their perceived connection with witchcraft. Witches, sluts, feminists, thus explores the witch as an identity forced upon women, as an identity taken up freely by feminine individuals, and as an embodiment of those who practice witchcraft, an umbrella term for a variety of occult practices. So I just want to throw that out there. It's like, yes, men have definitely been accused of witchcraft before and everything. That's just 
fact. Um, but the book specifically definitely focuses on um, women and uh, femme presenting persons. So throwing that out there. That is good. This is this is why Shore is the prepared one, and I, I, I'm I'm the one who just keeps things light. <laughs> well, yeah, the Roe versus Wade episode was my idea because I've been seething for so long. I I thought it was a good one. I I thought it was good, and it was necessary. And I feel important. like there are mm, aspects of this book that kind of go along with that episode. Um, yeah, because a lot of it again is about persecuting women and control and things like that. So yeah, let's get started. <laughs> okay. So diving in, what are we? Where are we starting? Where are we starting here? Sure, don't know. Well, <laughs> I think it would be good to kind of start at the beginning, as far as um, the historical side of it. Because uh, sure. it talks a lot about Salem specifically. Mm-hmm. Obviously, witches were persecuted before Salem, but this is kind of, you know, very much the famous situation of things that people think about a lot when they think about witches being persecuted um, would be the Salem witch trials and all of that. Especially in North America. Oh, yeah, for sure. So our one, our one listener in Kazakhstan might not really vibe with this. <laughs> But we love you anyway. But we love you anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I think what was um, interesting to me was uh, when it was talking about kind of the slight differences in terms of persecution between mm-hmm. Europe and uh, North America, where Europe also had this kind of notion of um, combining odd sexual practices with witchcraft and their their portrayals of witches were always sexual in some way in like the wood carvings and stuff like that whereas when you got into north america that wasn't as much a part of it it wasn't as um heavily advertised i guess would be the the right way to do it as opposed to the the end of being like an abomination also the the whole mob mentality thing they got oh for sure yeah they got into that here where like even apparently on the record some of the people who did witch hunting in north america later were like yeah i feel bad for getting caught up in the whole whole thing i might have gotten a little too caught up which I'm like, well, say that to the people you killed. Right. And that's what mob mentality <laughs> is. You know, is as an individual, you wouldn't do something. But when you have that energy and all these people pumping you up, you kind of get lost into it. Not as that, not that that's an excuse because it's obviously not. Um, but I, I'm not surprised. I can definitely, definitely see that for sure. Yeah, and then there's there's also that aspect of if you're not doing it, you're going to get suspicious. They're going to be oh, suspicious for sure. of you. Like, it's That's a, a legitimate fear. Yeah, it's a fun web of things. Because when um, we're talking about the same witch trials, we're not talking about women who were legitimately practicing witchcraft. Um, so we... You, you Having a fear of being persecuted next is a legitimate fear, even if you're not doing anything wrong. Because you could be persecuted just because somebody doesn't fucking like you. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that they, they actually went into that in terms of um, uh, the girls who initially started the whole panic thing. Because mm-hmm. they were accusing... It's interesting. They were accusing other women. And 
part of it was just because they didn't like them. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like, you know. <laughs> and they were such a heavily indoctrinated religious oh, yeah. uh, group, uh, Salem as a whole, that they were prone to panic. They were quick to persecute just because anything that was against their religion, against their God and everything was such a threat. So um, they were almost eager to believe these girls, I feel. Oh, yeah. And then there was also the, the notion of like you're talking about girls who are basically raised to be um, subservient wives, I guess is the nicest way of putting it. Oh, yeah. So, for sure. so this is like the first time where they're they're not just getting attention. They're in control mm-hmm. and people are listening to them and Normally, they're like children back in those days where, you know, you should be seen, not heard type of thing. Yeah. Um, So having that kind of position for once in their lives, I'm sure, felt powerful. And they got drunk on the power. But that Mm -hmm. being said, all the adults went with it. Like anybody who could have done a second check or been voice of reason wasn't doing that. Um, well, and, uh, throughout history, I don't know if Salem um, did any of these in particular, but you hear about people persecuting witches by like, if she, if we throw her in a river and she floats and survives, then she's a witch, so we have to kill her. But if she drowns, then, oh, she wasn't a witch. But you're dead anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so it, all their ways of like testing witchcraft are bullshit. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and the thing is, is that, um, even when we talk about men being persecuted at that time, they were all men who were close to uh, the women being accused, or right. they were, or they were men who displayed feminine tendencies. So there's still this kind of underlying thing of anything stereotypically feminine is wrong and can be persecuted. And I think there's they touched on this a bit. Sorry, I say they. The author touched on it a bit. Um, in the book, but there there are several theories around why the persecution was happening because it's not just one thing, it's multiple reasons. Um, And one of them was to take away that power that women had as midwives and as Mm -hmm. wise women and as healers um, and force people to go and see the male male doctors. Yeah, the midwife thing is absolutely insane. So for people who may not really know this part of history, Pregnancy and childbirth were primarily in history handled by midwives. And so like things like C-sections and stuff have been around for ages. Uh, And as women started to be persecuted of witchcraft, a lot of those women were actually midwives. This happened a lot. I wanted to say that it was in um, Africa and the Middle East was where it was heavily persecuted. Um, So all these women primarily went to female midwives during the pregnancies and that's who handled it. That's just what it was. As um, education became more formalized and male doctors became the norm and uh, women were persecuted as witchcrafts, a lot of them were midwives. And you can actually see the rates of death during and post childbirth increasing as that change happened, as people were losing their midwives and going to male doctors because they didn't have the knowledge passed down throughout history from midwife to midwife um, of childbirth. 
they were men who primarily in medical school and things learn about the male body. Female body is not the standard, uh, which I believe we discussed before with the Roe versus Wade one. We um, did. And so that caused legitimately the death of many, many women. Uh, all because midwives knowledge and skill, which is just something they learned and was passed down from, you know, other people in their field, uh, was seen as witchcraft. <laughs> which is yeah. just asinine. Like, you're smart and better at this than me. You're a witch. Um, well, there's also, even if we go back into, um, was it ancient Greece? I think it might have been. Uh, there was a woman, older woman. That was the other thing that they mentioned in the book, because a lot of us um, through movies and media, you think of young witches, sexy witches. Yes. Nubile witches. But a lot of the women being persecuted were actually older. And kind of the idea of where the, the quote unquote, the crone comes right. from or the hag. Um, so this woman was older and she was she did have influence and ties to the Senate. Um, she was a mathematician. Oh, and how dare she? Yeah, and uh, for political reasons, because there were men who didn't like the sway she had over people who were in the Senate and politically involved and outside of the Senate and all that stuff. Um, also, uh, Christianity was on the rise in in these places at this mm -hmm. time. Um, basically accused her of being a witch and took her to the, I think it's called the Kazarian, I might be pronouncing it wrong, and brutally murdered her. <laughs> but it's like she literally was just a mathematician. Yeah, she was just smart. And she had, she was very involved and did have sway with, with um, for people's opinions who were in charge. And so it's, you've seen that throughout history, this kind of excuse. Um, Oh, what is it? I can't remember her name. Elsbeth, and I can't Elizabeth. Oh. The um the woman who supposedly bathed in blood. Right, right. Um yeah, so there's this book that um this woman basically went through all of these uh letters and transcripts and stuff about what she did day to day how she ran the land because uh, just so you know um when men were away the nobility men were away to to fight in one of the multiple wars uh the noble women were actually in charge of the household so they were in charge of the money they were in charge of decisions being made on the land they took care of the people working the land and stuff like that so through all these letters and everything it there's a theory that she wasn't, firstly, she did not kill over 600 nubile virgins. No, um, not Secondly, at all. she did not bathe in the, in the blood of them. And thirdly, that she was actually a doctor and she was helping young women who were pregnant out of wedlock, for whatever reason, have abortions and have yeah. prenatal care and give birth and all of these other things and, and she's that, just vilified yeah history and, and in pop culture too oh yeah and i i get it it's an awesome fantastic visual like i yeah I and because you don't hear of women being so brutal like that very often but to the same end it was a real person and there are strong indicators that all of that was a smear campaign to get control of her land yep because she can, she had a lot of power. Yeah, a lot. 
And for women, especially at that time in history, that's unacceptable. Exactly. <laughs> um, I'm really glad you brought that up because when I found, I had heard that story so many times because I like true crime things and it gets brought up a lot. Um, when I found out that that wasn't real and I looked into it, I was shocked. Yeah. Because it always had been presented as fact. Yeah. Um, and to see how there was literally no evidence that she did that kind of psychotic stuff was, I felt, I felt betrayed. <laughs> I was lied to. And it, I, I feel like, I don't know if you've ever watched American Horror Story. I've watched bits of it, like always out of order. So every season is a different, a completely different storyline. Yes. Um, when they have one called The Coven, which is obviously about witches. And they have a character who I assume has to be based on, on Elizabeth because she, this takes place in New Orleans and um, she's, you know, heavily, heavily racist lady and she would kill her slaves and use their blood as uh, like part of her beauty regimen. She didn't like bathe in it, but she would use it on her face and things like that. And I assume they probably took that um, loosely based it off of Elizabeth and to learn that Elizabeth's not even real. It's just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was real, obviously, but the storyline, the narrative was not real. Um, I do want to point out something when they were going, uh, when the author was going through the Salem stuff. So I'm glad you you mentioned, because uh, you said New Orleans. So this <laughs> immediately popped into my head. Um, wasn't it the initial um, witches named in Salem were Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tituba India? Yes. Oh, and Tituba, I tend not to hear her name mentioned a lot. It Tituba tends to... I, white. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but also this added layer of um, not only were all three women accusing each other once they were accused, which I, I get, you don't want to be tortured to death. Right. Um, for better or worse. There's the added notion that Tituba, wasn't she also a slave and she had a master? So there could have been coercion going on there as well. Right. I, I do remember hearing um, that she was a slave. I can look it up for sure. But actually, I know this is not real and I probably shouldn't bring it up again. But American Horror Story, uh, the whole premise is that the witches who are in this modern day coven and all of that are descendants from the Salem witches. And Tichibas mentioned more than once. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. I think I think that she is mentioned. There's also um, it also ties into the because uh, I know this book takes a very uh, North American perspective on the witch hunts, which is fine because if you did it globally, this book would be much longer, much heavier yes. than it currently is. Uh, but I did appreciate that there were mentions of um, voodoo, hoodoo, and other similar practices, and right. how not only do you have the persecution of women who have these places of power in a belief system, um, such as with witches, um, but also the added intersectionality of like slavery, women of color, and all of that stuff. And then also just, um, they touched on it very slightly, but even their own you're kind, there's this almost alienation, um, no matter where you go type thing at certain periods mm -hmm. of time, if you're identifying as a witch or if you're accused of being a witch. Um, yeah, and so it was, going back to the European thing, that's where we started getting the, uh, 
the slut shaming linkage about how oh they're always sleeping with the devil and yes uh here's so I just want to say real quick before we get off, Tituba was an enslaved native woman who lived in okay. Salem Village, Massachusetts in the late 1600s. Historical re- records do not contain any information about her early life or how she came to be enslaved. In, 19, in 1692, Tituba lived and worked in the home of Reverend Samuel Paris, the minister of Salem Village. So, he, <laughs> yeah. Not, so oh, the, well, the then. actual <laughs> reverend's slave. Well, so, then. <laughs> De- definitely you're you're gonna be under scrutiny there yeah that, that's a whole other layer right there oh poor Tituba. Um, but talking about the sleeping with the devil thing there's two things i want to mention one is i find it funny that they believe that which is either sleep with the devil worship the devil work for him or whatever it may be when um uh, they don't people who legitimately practice witchcraft or, or pagan or things like that don't believe in the devil because they aren't Christians Christians the devil is a construct of you know those kinds of religions Christianity and Catholicism and all these kinds of things so why would somebody who's completely removed and outside of that belief system believe in your devil that's the thing that's always just baffled me because they're whores, sure. Okay. <laughs> they're Sorry, whores. my bad. <laughs> Don't overthink it. <laughs> no, the the other thing I always question because I've, because uh, I was also looking up like every time they mentioned a wood cutting or something, I was like, okay, I want to see this. I want to see this. And the thing that struck me was I was like, how do you know these portrayals of the devil, Baphomet, multiple demons, whatever? Because they all get conflated into one. How do you know they're male? Because they all look kind of like creatures That's to me. That's true. <laughs> just I mean, like, they're not necessarily male. Did I add this is showing my ignorance here, but did angels, because obviously Lucifer was an angel, do they have gender? Like, do they have human terms of gender? Well, see, here's the thing. If you go with the original version of them, depending on their rank, they're different shapes of wings and eyes. Right. And, and they have to, you know... And they have multiple heads and like, so tra- like giving trans- them a human... Yeah, they have to transform into a human form. Um, it's why I always, uh, the movie, the, the live action movie Constantine, I love their portrayal of Gabriel because they never... It, it's... Um, it played by a woman, but very. It's, is it Tilda Swinton? Yes, Tilda yeah, Swinton. Okay. Tilda, okay, I was close. Yeah, Tilda. <laughs> uh, well, I completely forgot till you said that. So yay. Um, yeah, and it's kind of. Um, I think Gabriel might be mentioned as he there, but there's no real effort to disguise right. that it's Tilda, a very androgynous. And it also kind of, the look kind of tied back to the Prophecy trilogy where Christopher Walken was Gabriel, and which was a visual thing I I enjoyed. I enjoyed feeling like, oh, it's a nod to this other one. It's awesome. But yeah, there's a, they can be male or female when they choose to be, but for the most part, they're just a, a celestial being, being or a, yeah. or a uh, demonic being. <laughs> Either way, it's it's always um, 
made me question because I've also seen because I know for uh, the uh, satanic temple they have the image of Baphomet um, there's also quote unquote female versions of Baphomet where they basically just drop boobs <laughs> onto it and I'm kind of like it just goes to show that the reality is you don't really know these are mystical creatures type thing also in a lot of the portrayals it's very similar to a pan or a satyr which i always thought was visually interesting the fact that that uh which might be where the sex thing came from because you know satyrs like to have their sex as we all know (laughs) yeah this book is does talk a lot about sex and sexuality um and how that's often persecuted um, which is obviously why slut is in the title as well. Yeah, I, the linkages between the three, and we're, I know we're spending a bit of time on the history and everything, but it's its weird because it, the connection wasn't made until I heard witches, sluts, feminists all together. Mm-hmm. And the, the notion that like slut shaming isn't new, it's always been around. We just have a term for it now. And like, witches were persecuted for this perceived sexuality whether or not it was present and even if they were pious and just being accused of hexing somebody they're all in league sleeping with the devil always would come up and the the wood carvings were quite creative so there's we're quite creative with portraying that There's two quotes from the book that I'd like to read that kind of go along with the sexuality and and everything and being persecuted for such. So one says, um, prevailing archetypes of womanhood in the Bible become virgin, obedient wife, or deviant whore. Thou shall not suffer a witch to live, states Exodus 22.18, a directive flanked by advice on how to buy a bride and why you shouldn't commit bestiality. (laughs) So it's like you're a woman, you can fall into three categories. You're a virgin, you're an obedient wife, or you're a deviant whore. Oh my god. Also, um, can I just say the link of how to buy a wife and don't yeah, do so reality? What? <laughs> that quote is flanked by how to buy a bride and why you shouldn't commit bestiality, because apparently that's what something people need to be told. <laughs> that's the thing, is like people talk about, well, if you didn't have the Bible, how would you why wouldn't you murder? Why wouldn't you rape? Why wouldn't you do all these things if you didn't you know that it was like God's moral? Exactly. It's because I don't want to because I'm not a shit person. <laughs> Um, I don't need a Bible to tell me not to have sex with an animal. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. Like, yeah. (laughs) Which actually, with mentioning those quotes and how we're talking about the the linkages between the words, which is sluts feminist, um, this book was published in 2017. And I mentioned that because there is a chapter on Hillary Clinton and how I don't really care how you feel about Hillary Clinton's politics. And obviously I'm Canadian, so I don't have a dog in this fight. However, the verbal, the level of visual and publicly allowed verbal abuse was kind of disgusting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (sighs) And they go into that where like, she's being portrayed like feminist becomes an f word yes Um, exactly and it's like uh she's a witch with a capital b uh so we've we've already got like you you really want to call her a bitch obviously um 
well, she must be a slut because she's immoral. Like, that's just how it is. You're immoral. Therefore, you must be a slut when you're a woman. And I forgot how bad it was. I got to be honest, like reading through that was really hard. And it also reminded me that um, around the end of Barack Obama's term, when Hillary was coming in, they all, there was also this slew of um, political lynching art of Barack Obama, which was like really disgusting as yeah. well. Um, and it's it's interesting because it's <sighs> the fact that it was so allowable on such a high high level. Not that I I should be surprised. It's Donald. It was Donald Trump after all. But the, right. the fact that any opponent would have thought saying half the things that Donald Trump said mm-hmm. and then. Oh, the, yeah. And still get elected. It's asinine. Yeah. It's and disgusting. Then, and then the fact that, like, you're accusing Hillary Clinton of being immoral. There are records of Donald Trump talking about grabbing, sexually assaulting women. Like, it's like, who's the immoral one type thing? Right. And just how. um uh, my thing was is because people would ask about who I voted for or whatever and why I hate Trump, all this kind of stuff. And this was very early on before he did all the things to prove why he was such a piece of shit as the president. Um, but I was like, there is not a single part of me. There's not any bit of me that thinks he has not raped at least one mem- woman at some point in his life. I believe 100% that he has raped a woman. Yep. I know that he's been accused and everything and, and it's not gone anywhere because he's got so much money and power and blah, blah, blah. But there is not a single fiber of my being with things he does and says that he has not raped a woman. And I won't vote a president into place that's a rapist. I think that's a very simple stance to have. I don't I, think I that's also, that complicated. I also think it's a natural baseline. Yeah, like, like say oh, what you a rapist. Mm, I don't say what you will <laughs> about Hillary Clinton's politics. I'm pretty sure she's never raped anybody. Yeah, but but also it's um undeniably more qualified than Donald Trump for that job. Oh, oh, 100. Like so, it's it's one of those things. Set your politics aside. Pretend you're running a job interview on paper. <laughs> Yeah. Hillary Clinton was so much more qualified. And maybe that's what led to the the over um, slander and the the crazy. Oh, because they had they had it became again, it's that mom mentality. They just worked Donald Trump uh, worked people up so much and got them in a frenzy and got them to try and persecute things and and got them focused on the wrong stuff. Um, And it just became insane to watch it was like a cult the people who supported him it was like a cult it was crazy to see from an outside perspective that the people were so worked up and riled up and they treated him like they were fans which is not what politics are about you're you're trying to hire somebody for a job they're supposed to be working for you and they were they're treating donald trump they're fan worshiping him, which is insane. Mm-hmm. You should not be a fan of politicians. But I want to step back briefly and talk about how you uh, brought up the uh, lynching stuff around uh, Obama. Yes. One thing that always pissed me off, and I don't remember this uh, host, TV host's name, but he hosts a political news type of show. And Michelle Obama 
often wore dresses that didn't have sleeves. And he was talking about how it's immodest and it's disgusting and and it's disrespectful and these people don't deserve to be in these positions. And she's a shameful first lady and all this kind of stuff. And like it wasn't a strapless dress. It just didn't have sleeves. It didn't go off the shoulders. Um, And he's freaking out about it. And then when Trump was elected, uh, his wife has done nude modeling in the past because she was a model. That was her job. Um, so she's done new modeling. And the same exact host was going on and on about how she's celebrating God's creation yeah. and the beautiful form that God gave her for being completely naked. That's okay as first lady. But when Michelle Obama just had a sleeveless dress or yeah, a sleeveless dress, she's disgusting. <laughs> Because, <laughs> because one okay. wo- one woman is quote unquote defying you and is yeah. black, and the other woman who is white is well, it's for my pleasure. Yeah, and and she was a black Democrat, which is about probably the worst you can be a female black Democrat, which is probably the worst thing you can be in that man's eyes, that old white man's eyes. Um, but you know, because I was Trump's wife, and they're Republicans, and that's okay. It's cool. Yeah, I, I've always because um, uh, we have a provincial election coming up where I am and I'm always stunned at uh, what the conservative parties are willing to accept, but they will damn in any centrist or liberal party. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, you, it, it's kind of like it's almost And when I look at the media, they kind of share the same thing. And I'm not going to go into like who owns the media and stuff because there's reasons (laughs) for that. But what I will say is it's it's interesting that it's this kind of behavior is expected from conservative parties, but is even the slightest deviation from 100 percent ethical behavior is damned in anybody centrist or left leaning. And I, yeah. I just I'm like, it's vilified. Yeah. Out of just like, why is it like you're accepting to an insane level from these conservative parties? Like, I don't know. I, I personally want to see a lot of them lose party status because the acceptance of the quote unquote Trump politics is just it's too much for me. I'm like, you you, you can't. There's certain things you simply cannot accept that are not a difference of opinion. They're absolutely right. an attack. Um, which we see a lot with um, uh, women, people of color and the LGBTQ plus community, all of which get touched on in this book. Yes. (laughs) It's just a way to keep the um, ostracized groups, the, the minorities to keep people who are on, you know, quote unquote, the outside there in their place, how, how they you know, the powers that be, the people in power, which are, again, primarily white men, um, to keep everybody else from getting any of that power. Uh, and it's it's so sad to see how obvious it is. And there's so little we can do about it. I know. <sighs> but That's- yes, this, this book talks a lot about... Um, <clears throat> Obviously, we've been heavily relying on history, but a lot of it is just how being feminine and being sexual is is in as a woman or someone from presenting is persecuted um, because, you know, sexuality could have throughout history been um, 
linked to witchcraft. And then obviously being a slut has been a, a term used to um, vilify women for a long time. And now feminists are often seen as crazy or they're uh, immoral and th things like that because they're not, they don't want to do what's natural to women, which is to be subservient or things, be a housewife, things like that. So it's just, even though the book is these three terms, it's basically in my mind, like a timeline. Yeah, they're they're using different words, but the reason behind it is the same. And it's just to persecute women for various things, keep them subservient, keep them out of power and um, to vilify their sexuality. Another quote uh, before we kind of move on from the historical aspect is uh, the history of witchcraft is primarily a history of women, explains Carol F. Carlson in The Devil in the Shape of a Woman, Witchcraft in Colonial New England. To study this history is to peer into the abyss of fear, sexist violence, and toxic masculinity that dominates feminist discourse today. All witchcraft comes from carnal lust, which is, in women, insatiable, which is from the Malus Maleficarium from 1486. Yeah. Yes. Which is a book written by a Catholic clergyman and is described as the compendium of literature and demonology. So yeah, they're literally saying by being sexual, which in women is insatiable, yeah. um, they're linked to the demonic. And and that's the <laughs> that's the book that kind of kickstarted stuff in Europe. Like other things right. were written that had impact, but that's kind of the key text that is recognized as kickstarting this um I don't know, witch hysteria, satanic panic. I don't know. Yeah, I think both of those are good terms, witch hysteria and satanic panic, because people are definitely not thinking clearly. They are just like panicked and losing their minds over stuff, which doesn't matter. But the thing that just drives me insane is that you're saying that um, women shouldn't be these sexual beings. They should be a virgin or obedient wife. They shouldn't want to have sex. They shouldn't be sexual beings. But obviously women or men want to have sex with women. So you're saying you ideally want the women to not be into it. You want them to be unwilling because that's what they're supposed to be. But they're supposed to just let you do what you want because they're obedient. Yeah, like that's disgusting that you don't want a willing partner. Oh, yeah. You don't and then, want enthusiastic partner. And then you tie it into this kind of notion that um, you're you're taking away uh, if we go by what is stereoty stereotypically considered to be the most feminine thing you can do, which is give birth. Mm -hmm. um, and I apologize to those of you who are barren or for those of you who cannot have babies, I'm saying stereotypically. The most feminine thing a woman can do is carry a child. Um, the notion of saying you can't enjoy sex and we're going to choose your partner for you or they're going to choose you for, mm -hmm. for themselves. You're taking away any power she has over her own procreation. Oh, yes. her ability to decide um, which I guess in, in in somebody's mind who wants to control it, this ability to almost say you're not worthy to mate with. And it's an it's interesting when you tie that into um, 
stuff like this and like, oh, you don't want a willing participant. No, because that means she would have had sex before, which means the child might not be mine, which means, which means, which means heaven forbid my seed not be passed out. (laughs) Um, That's the thing is like, you don't actually give a shit about your seed or else you wouldn't jerk off, but okay. Yeah, Yeah, but that's the, it's, there's layers to it, but ultimately- as Sir said, it's this control of a woman's body and treating women like all they're good for is being subservient and having children. Um, which I don't want to point out, you could actually make the argument for men to be the ones to stay at home because you don't want them to mindlessly spread their seed to anybody, right? right? They can they can impregnate many, many people, whereas women, again, like we discussed in the Roe versus Wade, a woman can only get pregnant. You know, yeah, a birth takes nine months, but the chance of you getting pregnant while you're breastfeeding and stuff is very low and blah, blah, blah. So let's say about once a year, if yeah. you're very fertile and active and, and heal fast and all of that, you can give birth once a year. A man can get like three pregnant women... A, or three women pregnant a day. <laughs> so they're the ones who need to be controlled. I saw uh, somebody said something like, doesn't it make more sense to disable the weapon rather than shoot at a uh, bulletproof vest in terms of birth control? They're saying yeah. like, essentially the woman being on birth control is just you're shooting at a uh, bulletproof vest. Whereas shouldn't we be more concerned about the guns and the bullets? Um, but you know, Men don't want to deal with the side effects of birth control because that's just unreasonable. Yeah. They want their cake and eat it too. Uh, There's one fun fact. This is not really related, but I just learned this ages ago and it's always been one of my favorite fun facts. And it was in ancient Greece. There was a plant that was such an effective and good form of birth control that it literally was harvested to extinction. Oh, (laughs) people were so thrilled to have birth control that was so effective that it just doesn't exist anymore <laughs> they just they completely decimated all of it uh, um, poor, i <laughs> i love how i'm showing sympathy to this plant yeah <laughs> that up until now i didn't know existed it was extinct <laughs> i just think that's so funny because that shows again we're going back to human nature sex isn't an enjoyable act it's supposed to be at least yeah Um, Uh, especially for humans it's i don't want to go off on a tangent but i do want to say there is a difference between a sex drive and a mating drive yeah Uh, and that's that's why it's a i don't particularly like uh comparing human mating habits to other animals because it's not necessarily coming from the same place and you have oh, not to at all. very, very much contextualize things. Cause again, a maybe just drive, one animal to another, not even including humans, it's dramatically different. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, not to go off on a tangent, I'll just end it there. <laughs> uh, as we, as we move forward in history, where should we go? Where should we go? I mean, the, Again, this is this book kind of spans a long period of time. It did generally start with whole the whole witchcraft and persecution thing. Um, but it, it really focuses on moments in history that women either were fighting for some kind of power, um, whether that be political or sexual. So you have things like um 
women wanting the right to vote. Again, women are not supposed to do that. They're out of place. The men need to be in charge, things like that. I actually had they're hysterical. They're hysterical. Yes. That's the thing is like any woman who was unhappy, they'd send her to us asylum and say she was hysterical. She's, she's diagnosed with hysteria and then she can't possibly be happy. I mean, or be unhappy. She's got six kids and a husband. She should be thrilled (laughs) and no job and no, no choice in life. Why isn't she thrilled? She must be crazy. Exactly. And I think another thing to point out is that there there's a line you see it with all like uh, oppressed people but there there's always been this line for women where once you cross it it doesn't matter how powerful you are you're right you're going you're going to jail you're going to the unless, asylum you're unless getting disowned. a man is protecting you yeah so if if you're a woman who you know is related to a politician and your behavior would affect them so again like the abortion thing oh, you had a baby out of wedlock. That'll ruin my political advancement. They'll handle it. Hush, hush, nice and quiet. And no one will ever know because it affects them. Um, And and during the the time period of um, rampant lobotomies. Oh, God. They just lobotomize you. Yep. Um, And yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. (laughs) The history of lobotomy in in and of itself is fascinating it's disgusting um but it's fascinating uh there was actually a fame was it a kennedy i believe it was someone related to john f kennedy but i could be absolutely wrong had like a sister or it was a close relative who was very you know free and they they said she was hard to handle and kind of a thing like that and again that would affect his political outlooks and everything like that and yeah she was hospitalized no one visited her she was just stuck in an asylum to be out of the way and quiet and yeah they lobotomized her and then she was just a shell of a person they didn't care because what they cared about was you know the president that's who matters that's the family member we we care about um so yeah it's the history of lobotomies is very fascinating and anyone who's into any kind of medical history or honestly, even true crime, because that's how I stumbled upon it. Um, there's a there's a podcast I listen to called Dark History, which goes into a lot of this kind of stuff. Um, it's it's a interesting thing. So it's not something that this book goes in depth to, but it's something that is worth researching if you if you think you might find it interesting. Um, it's fucked up. <laughs> it it's is. Fucked up. And it's it's something we don't know about because lobotomies are not something that people do nowadays. It's not something that we deal with. We're not going to have a family member get a lobotomy. The chance of that is is minute. But there was a period in time where this was almost in fashion and people were requesting it. And men were requesting for their wives to have lobotomies because she was unhappy at home. And I just don't understand why. Yeah. It's insanity. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, there were a couple points in the book that I want to touch on. Mm-hmm. And one of them was um, when we get into exploitation of women and moving into kind of the present period, um, there are many industries that use sweatshops and oh, yeah. cheap labor and 
there was, I guess, almost a, a chapter, an essay. I kind of felt like each chapter was an essay um, on the gar- focusing on the garment industry mm-hmm. and the uh, this I- idea of um, being conscious about what you buy, because even if you're buying, you know, the witch please stuff or a cute hat or like just this mass influx that has happened of you know witch paraphernalia a lot of that stuff is coming from these sweatshops where women are being women and girls are are being in um abused very abusive uh, and taken advantage of and yeah yeah I'm going to say something that always gets people to hate me, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it's true. I've never been a fan of Beyonce, not like on a personal level. I just none of her music has ever been like something I jam to. So her massive, massive success and extreme obscene wealth isn't I I don't get it. And people always get mad at me for that. But whatever. Um, She had some like feminist themed clothing. And yeah. They were all made in sweatshops by women making pennies, pennies. Yeah. Well, uh, and it's uh, <laughs> yeah. like that. I, I already just wasn't a fan because I just didn't care for any of her music or anything. But now I'm just like actively anti <laughs> because what the fuck? It's one thing to just be like fast fashion brands and clothes that like there's a point when you buy a piece of clothing and it's so cheap, you know, it can't be made ethically. But for the fact that these this line of clothing was specifically feminine themed. You're making money off a feminist narrative, but you're using essentially enslaved women to do it. It's disgusting. That's disgusting. And you have the ability, someone with that much money and that much power has the ability to one, do it ethically and two, to know where they're sourced from. So I don't believe ignorance. I, I believe her, she may have just not gave a shit. But I don't believe she didn't have the ability to find out this stuff. If some journalist was able to find it out, she could have known where her clothing came from. Um, so that that really pissed me off. And I found that. And this was years ago. Uh, obviously, it didn't affect her. She's still massively successful and has an insane amount of support. But uh, yeah, that really pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, and it's um, and it got she got mentioned in this book specifically for I think the album was Lemonade that also mm-hmm. um I know it wasn't black girl magic, but that's kind of what the term has become now. So I'll, just, I'll use that uh, for having a lot of uh, witch imagery and all of like powerful imagery. And then on the same end, exactly what you're talking about is a feminist clothing line. And where is it being made and who's making it and mm-hmm. how ethical is that? And you're making your money off of all of this imagery. And like it is, no one's denying it's a good message. No, it's, it's but a, you're s- sending the message in a way that's actively against it. Yeah, you're you're trying to you're doing a feminist message, but you're doing something that oppresses women. Yeah, um, and that that I was happy to to see them touching on in here. One of the things that I was surprised wasn't mentioned was Think Pink. Um. And that's a documentary, but also a group. And what they do is they talk they talk about um, rethinking uh, the the pink breast cancer ribbon 
Okay. And the fact that, you know, it is a prime example of using women. At, women are buyers and consumers um, mm-hmm. in a huge market. If you can tap into that market, it's huge. Uh, so anything that gets the that pink put on it is going to get bought. So it's a very lucrative thing. And what Think Pink was talking about was you you are sponsoring products that actually have ingredients that cause breast cancer, not suspected of. They actually cause breast cancer. And you have products that are made in factories, which do not have the same um, WSIB, OSHA, labor law, whatever you want to call it, guidelines that ours have. And so you're talking about people breathing in stuff and women and girls, stuff that's going to cause breast cancer, uterine cancer, all of this stuff. So something I also want to touch on with this pink ribbon is not only, again, everything you're saying, 100% true, but the Susan G. Komen for the Cure was the one that trademarked that pink ribbon. Yes. And they actively sue other businesses, companies, fundraisers doing that, even nonprofits, they will just sue the hell out of anybody who uses the language for the cure. Cause that's their thing is Susan G comment for the cure. So if you use the language for the cure, the color pink and the ribbon, the little pink ribbon, um, any other nonprofits, they'll just sue you. Yeah. So we'd say you're supposed to be finding a cure for cancer, helping save the lives of mostly women. Obviously, men can get breast cancer as well. But when it comes to breast cancer, people generally focus on women Um, that you're suing a nonprofit that's looking to find a cure for cancer or raise money. What? Yeah. So, again, it's you don't give a shit about women. (laughs) Um, So that that's I was just like, it was interesting that think pink wasn't mentioned but i also recognize that they probably had a word count and they probably didn't want to get overly involved (laughs) with too many examples so i i get that i do get it one thing also i i don't like the whole save the boobies save the boobs save the breasts whatever you phrase it as because a lot of times the best thing to do when a woman gets breast cancer or even someone who has i forgot what it's called but it's a certain gene that makes you like incredibly susceptible to breast cancer. Um, one of the best ways to save your life is to cut your boobs off. So that language is, is harmful. I feel, um, because it's not, people are focusing on the breasts because they're so heavily sexualized and that's what makes you a woman. It's part of the feminine form. It's all this kind of stuff. And cutting them off is often the best thing you can do to save your life. So I feel like the language is harmful. And I remember seeing some people getting on Angelita Jolie because she has that gene that makes her and, you know, women, her and her family very, very, very likely to end up with breast cancer. And she had her breasts removed. She had a double mastectomy. People were saying like, well, no wonder why Brad Pitt left her. He deserves a whole woman. Are you insane? Are you insane? It's it's um because heaven forbid you you love a person no matter what within reason. Sorry. Yeah, no, not no matter what. Not I no mean, matter what. I mean, if they're a serial killer, maybe it's time to end the relationship. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I mean, they from I'm not into celebrity news and stuff, but I, from when I remember, they had problems like for a long time. And oh, I yeah. doubt I doubt I honestly doubt the breast thing had anything to do with why they split. But like just the constant the pack, fact that people think that way. That it's her horrible. having a, a body that's able to be sexualized is more important than her life. <laughs> I just, what? I know. And actually moving into that um, off of the sexualization and sexuality, there were several chapters focusing on um, ownership of one's sexuality and one's body. Mm -hmm. um, and this is my only critique on the book uh -oh. what i'm about to say is my only critique but it's going to take a while for me to make my point so i do want to point out the in the book the author brings up many things uh, many art forms so visual art forms movies right. music music videos uh, costume all of that stuff and what i find interesting is when going into stuff like um the spell of seduction um this notion of the sacred whore and things like that, dance is never brought up once. And I find that very interesting because in multiple cultures, uh, dancers have, dances and dancers have been viewed as um, temple priestesses who perform dances as part of worship and lead through worship. Mm -hmm. And there were many temples where these women were exalted um, and these women were able to have their pick of sexual partners, um, usually affluent men. And then what ends up happening over time is suddenly I've shown you favor. I'm going to start showing you less favor. I'm going to start taking things away from you unless you give me more, unless you start sleeping with my friends. Um, it's similar to the reason why the center of ballet moved uh, to, from France to Russia. It's because these female dancers, these prima ballerinas, and please keep in mind, uh, it's a time period when women had very little choice in what they could do for work. Um, so this represented being a dancer was a lot of independence, freedom of movement, freedom in terms of your costuming, freedom in terms of what you can wear. It turned into something where if you wanted to make money, you had to make the critics happy. And if you wanted to make the critics happy, eventually they start asking for sex. And it's that power of having control over one's body and control over one's sexuality that is given and then taken away. And you see that in multiple different dance forms. You also see this other notion in terms of women persecuting women, uh, such as when we had this revival of Bharatanatyam, there were two schools of thought, one to make it very, very codified and to make it very, very defined and the other to bring in that emotional free spirit but that emotional free spirit sensuality all of that was viewed by the other camp as being lewd and not okay to have um and both camps were led by women um and it's i can go into like a whole class thing and stuff on that but these are just kind of peace examples of dance and female sexuality and female bodily autonomy um 
especially considering dance is stereotypically considered a female art form. And my own opinion. Right. On that, and like, you know, men are considered if you're, a, you know, a male. is there a different term for a male ballerina? Uh, I, I just I don't know. But oh, anyway, man, if you do ballet and as a man, a lot of people just assume you're gay or some yeah. shit. So yeah, I, I would definitely say that that dance is generally a feminist perceived thing. Which, which is interesting when you get into the places in the world where competition ballroom is popular. Because wouldn't you know, Eastern Europe and Russia, very popular. <laughs> and that, um, and I would arguably say men's movements are fluid and um, curved, which is stereotypically considered to be feminine. So it is in it. That's a whole theory and interest that I don't really want to go into. Yeah, they didn't touch on dance. You're you're definitely yeah. right. But and I I'm gonna give them a pass because, and this was my point. I'm gonna give them a pass on this because the witch image and the witch movie that I feel most embodies what I'm talking about is the 2018 remake of Suspiria. Oh, I've never seen either of those. So they spell cast through dance. Oh, oh, that sounds interesting. Yes. And it's also a um, it's a power struggle in a coven as well. So there's multiple layers. It's a very female, female heavy, very female cast. I do want to note it is set in um, uh when the the Berlin Wall was up, so you have East and West Germany. So they do mm -hmm. try to get visual diversity in terms of um, uh, POC women present, but it is quite limited because, again, it's very much in that time period. It's not a right. timeless piece. It's very much in that period of time in that in Germany during that time. So just disclaimer about that. But the you know, Germany is a predominantly white country. Yes. But it is about a power struggle in a coven. It's about um, discovering uh, the magic of these women. Also, the only ma male character uh, in it who has any kind of free agency is, in fact, played by Tilda Swinton, who plays three characters in the movie. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. So it's it, there's so many layers to this if you really want to get into it. But that to me, and I, this is why I'm giving the book a pass on it, because the book was published in 2017 and this movie came out in 2018. And it to me solidifies. Um, that's the first time I've watched a movie about witchcraft and went, yes, this is I have my never, witchcraft. <laughs> I like I've enjoyed witchcraft movies, um, but like. <laughs> As far as I don't know if I should say accuracy, but when you talk about movies like have you seen The Craft? Yes. I mean, it is a ridiculous movie. It, 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 is. it like, is. It's a, it's a teen drama movie. It's it's not a good witchcraft movie. Um, one of my favorite movies is for witchcraft is probably. Um, oh, my gosh. Why is it? I can't believe that I, I watch this movie all the time. Why can't I think of the title with Sandra Bullock and a whole Cole Kimmel. Practical Magic. Practical Magic. Oh I my love God. that one too. <laughs> um, but like in this one, magic is real and she's, she's, they're able to do crazy things. <laughs> um, but it's a good movie. As a movie, it's good. 
I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where I would say gives a reasonable depiction of witchcraft. Um, And you're honestly not going to see it because so much of it is myth and mix. Yes. Um, I will. I will say that, like, I'm in the middle of a very long reading list of nonfiction um, with the focus on pre-Christian content paganism. Ooh. Um, and very, very little is known. Very little survives. Um, it is interesting to see the iconography that has survived for so long. Um, and then also really solidifies the place where uh, Christianity would often co-opt pagan sites and turn it into churches or. Oh, well, I mean, they did that with just pagan religions straight up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is when you get into a lot of the. Uh, um, United Kingdom, British Isles practices, you definitely see leftovers of the paganism and witchcraft aspect. But there's so much mystery in there that you you can't really separate the myth from the reality, um, which I think is why it opens up so well to storytelling. Um, and because who who wouldn't want to fly? <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want to do that? Oh, yeah. But in terms of uh, Suspiria and why I was like, you should have mentioned dance. It's um, mostly because, uh, yes, and I did come from a dance background, blah, 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 blah. Um, <laughs> it's one of the few times where I like to say the the magic of dance as I experienced it was you can have so many people of differing opinions coming together to learn this one piece and to perform it. And you can be on stage and be completely in your body in the present moment, not thinking about anything else and feeling intuitively the motions of everybody around you and having implicit trust with them. And that kind of goes into my feelings of the strength of coven and witchcraft and also my favorite kind of witchcraft portrayals are ones that do not over explain the magic it's ones that treat it as an intuition um d-o-d-o um or dodo but it's the acronym that book has one of my favorite witches in there because they are asking her all these technical things about how she does stuff. And her, the answer is like, you just do. It's a reflex. You just do it. Like Everything is very matter of fact. There's no over explaining. And that's what I've always liked is just this notion that you can go in to something. And there is a magic about that that I've always had issues describing. And then this leads into sex because... As I recently discovered in some of my other readings, um, somebody broke down kind of the umbrella reasons why people have sex and what they get out of sex. Very umbrella, very broad. Oh, and is this from a book? Yes, it is from a book. I, I might want to read this book. What's yeah. this book? Um, it's called, Sp- oddly enough, it's called Spanking for Lovers. And it was only <laughs> one chapter of it that I liked. Everything else, I was like, this is stupid. Oh, uh, never mind then. Because I'm very judgmental. <laughs> so one thing I got, but this is why I say, you know, read stuff even if you think it's stupid. Because sometimes there's a, there's a golden grain in there. The golden grain of this was kind of these four umbrella reasons on why people have sex and what they get out of it. 
And that was when I realized that not everybody gets out of sex what I do, which is this um, complete transcendence into the present, into my body, into a connection of what is happening. And an almost, uh, it was described by, because there were a lot of anecdotes and this person was like, I always thought I needed to be at church with like, you know, the gospel and the singing and the getting into it to feel this like come to God moment. And then one day I had really good sex and I realized that I could get that release and that feeling that come to God moment from sex. And that's where, that's where I fall, where I'm like, no, I like, I want to experience that flood of like hormones and everything for as long as possible, because that's my unity with the world type moment. See, like I can't, when it comes to things like dance, I can't experience what you described because I can't get out of my own mind. I've taken dance lessons and things like that. Um, And I, I dance when I'm alone. Um, but when I've taken dance lessons and things like that, when I was in a class, I actually quit the class the moment they started talking about doing a performance (laughs) because I, yeah, (laughs) I mean, I was a kid, uh, but because the idea of being observed was 100% not something that I would have enjoyed. And I may have been able to from a technical standpoint, do whatever steps that the routine required, but I wouldn't have had that feeling. And I know the feeling that you're describing because I felt it for other things. Um, But dance is not something that I could see ever doing that for me personally. Um, Which is fine. It's a personal, like, I think it's personal for everybody where they get that feeling from, which was why I was like, it's, it's why I was like, but there's a history aspect of dance that perfectly describes this sacred horror thing you're trying to get into, damn it. And I, there may just not have been one. She may have just not known. She may be ignorant to that aspect of things. Or there may have been, like you said, a limitation on word count all yeah. of that. Or she may have felt it was kind of repetitive because there are uh, entire chapters devoted to um, uh, on screen. Yes. And there's a chapter that focuses a lot on porn. And there's a chapter on sex work and there's, so she may have just felt that like a lot of it's already touched upon. Um, Or like you said, there, there may have not been enough information out there. I mean, most of what you've said is not something I previously knew. Um, So it could have just been born out of ignorance Uh, or maybe you need to write a nonfiction book. (gasps) I need to write a nonfiction book. Clearly. (laughs) That's what I need to do. Um, (laughs) Wicked dance and sex. There you go. There you go. That I would read it, even if I didn't know you. And I would probably buy 20 copies just because I do know you. Oh, <laughs> this is sweet. Um, uh, sorry, I interrupted you. Continue. Oh, no. Like, I understand what you're saying and how it can feel almost magical. And like who, who you were quoting saying that they didn't need to go to church to get that feeling, that coming to God. Um, other things do give me that feeling. And dance isn't one of them. Um, but I, I can understand, I guess, how people get so fanatic as far as religion, if that is legitimately the only place they can get that feeling, because it is an intense and good feeling. Um, I worry when it comes to sex that, so when I have, <laughs> getting personal here, when I have um, sex, my 
goal is usually in my mind, my goal is usually to make the guy finish. And I worry you're so that competitive when you're saying that it is. No, I'm a very competitive person. And if I feel if I if that doesn't happen, then I feel myself as a failure. And I feel like is that that could very much not be something that's natural. It could be society has kind of ingrained that in me because when you watch porn, what's usually the the last thing you see? Oh, the man shot. coming. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and even though I don't personally watch porn, it's the same thing in like mainstream media in movies when there's a sex scene. A lot of times the ending is when the man finishes and you can still have sex even after the guys come like that's a thing. Oh, it's yeah. allowed. <laughs> I, actually, it's um, uh, there's a book called Sexual Healing, which is older. And I just say that so that people understand that it is very gendered terms are used in there. However, there's a point made about the man's is it called refractory period after they come or they're just kind of like blistered and tired about how if the woman is experiencing anxiety over um, she's not sure if she's going to come. She's not feeling relaxed. She's concerned about her partner's pleasure. All of this other stuff is often or not. The, the best thing to do is to flip how you would typically do it, which is have the man orgasm first. And then during that refractory period that he has focus on the woman, because that means in her mind, he's already come. He's satisfied. I can enjoy what he's doing now. It's, it's I can, my you turn. can kind of retreat into your mind and again, like be focused on the moment. Yes. And what you're feeling and everything. Yeah. That's actually a, a very good point. Um, there has, <laughs> there is a time where uh, I was feeling, this has only happened once where I was feeling overstimulated. Because I had orgasmed multiple times at this point. And I was just like this. I can't physically handle more touch right now. Um, And in the moment, I didn't feel like guilty or anything for him not finishing because I was so like, again, in my head and I was very like overwhelmed and, and in a good way. Um, But then afterward, I did find myself feeling guilty because like I made things stop. But you should never... Logically, I know you should never feel guilty for when you can't handle something Um, because it was like, I can't, it's hard to describe to feel overstimulated. It's the best word I can think of. Like it was just too much that I I couldn't handle more, Um, which is a very amazing thing to, to experience, to have like that level of pleasure. Uh, but yeah, I did. I, I am a competitive person just in normal life and just like video <laughs> games, but, um, or like one time I joined a group for my Fitbit and I had to get the most steps out of everyone every day, no matter what I had to <laughs> picture you jogging on the spot. Like I had, I had like one of those old school steps from like the eighties that people use. And I would just do that in my living room for That's ages because That's I had amazing. to win Beery. Everything's <laughs> a competition. Everything I had to win. Um, and I feel like is, is that how people are supposed to be? Or is it just, again, ingrained in me that a man is supposed to finish at the end and that's the end of sex. Uh, 
which is very worrisome. <laughs> like, am I brainwashed? It is. Am I brainwashed? <laughs> it is. It's and I've also, been re- Oh, go ahead. So it's also worrisome that feeling of like, is it just because I've been taught this is the norm or is it because I feel that it's the norm? It's almost you, like you don't know yourself. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's, again, going back to all this stuff, it's because sexuality and women is talked about as its connection to, to men and how men can use it or how it can you can be presenting yourself sexually for a man and for seduction and things like that. But why can't we just be allowed to be sexual on our own? And yes, and it also connects to say like the fact that lesbian porn is watched by men more than it is by actual lesbians. And well, they're not less. Well, a lot of time that's porn, it's acting, it's fake, but lesbians aren't lesbians to turn you on. Oh, <laughs> that's not how it works. Um, I, but it, in media, in the, in the mainstream, it feels like everything we do in terms of sexuality is defined by how it's perceived by a man. Um, so we're either, you know, whores for being too sexual and uh, not being virtuous or we're bitches because we're sexual, but not with the person who wants us. Um, or again, you're, 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 you're a witch, you're, you're worshiping the devil, you're evil for just existing in the way you naturally feel. And if you're doing harm, that's one thing, but just being a sexual person is not doing harm. Uh, so why does, why do people care? Why is it any of your business? Why are you persecuting women for just being themselves and existing and again, doing no harm? I don't know, man. <laughs> Uh, it's like the book, as you said, it spans a lot of topics, which spans a, a wide time period. I um, think what you said is very accurate, that, that it looks like it feels almost like a collection of essays because each chapter does hyper focus on one aspect of things. Um, so, yeah, I think the way you described it as for like a collection of essays is, is very accurate. Uh, but I think the the big thing out of it is making this um this connection between uh, words and iconography and um, how how a lot of the time when women are spoken about disparagingly, it's because of wanting to have a certain level of agency and power. Um, And yes, I recognize that can be extrapolated and applied to um, any oppressed group. Uh, My only thing when it comes to women is that you'll see almost this, uh, because when I, when I talk to, to women who are of different ethnicities for myself, there is this notion of um, a system within their group that puts them at the bottom and that you're always trying to be a bit higher than the other person because you don't want to be treated as badly as that other person. And it's interesting how words and iconography and um i am gonna say it like a, a propaganda has occurred throughout history 
giving kind of a very quick way to dismiss women just for wanting agency, full agency of themselves. Um, yeah, and the the connections that it makes, because I know we've been bouncing around history and in the timeline, but the book makes those connections as well. And we've kind of made other connections, such as to to think pink and stuff like that. Yeah, we talked about witchcraft as as you know, magic and religion and all this community and things like that. But the book heavily focuses on how it has been used to oppress women or femme presenting um, or how it has been used to uh, persecute sexuality and things like that. The book doesn't really talk about like the magical aspect of, of witchcraft or how people practice it as a belief system. Um, it really focuses heavily on how it was an early form of again, calling a woman a slut or, or trying to control women, trying to use it as like a type of slur um, is really what the book focuses on, uh, which is why it's used in tandem with uh, slut. <laughs> because yeah, as calling a woman a witch and trying to persecute her as a witch kind of falls off the timeline, falls out of fashion and things like that, you're instead using words like slut um, or whore and things like that. Uh, that's really what the book seems to focus on and how even though time has passed and details have changed, we're still persecuting women for being women mm -hmm. and trying to keep them out of out of power. Yeah. And it also touches on the uh, how the image of a witch changes where right. where you are in the timeline, where you are in the world in terms of what's going on. And. I know I enjoyed it. I enjoyed like seeing all these linkages. I think it's, mm -hmm. a, it's well-researched and it I, is. I appreciate seeing a, a list by topic. I love that. It's a list by topic and that's where all the citations are and I, which I love. I'm like, Oh yes, I can look by the topic and then find all the sources. Um, but yeah, it's very well researched. I think I can't remember. Was it like three or five pages of sources and yeah, uh, some crowdsourced um, uh, anecdotes and things like that uh, were definitely there. I also appreciated that uh, when touching on sex work, talking about uh, you know, the people who are doing it by choice and then also acknowledging people who aren't necessarily doing it by choice. Because It's I, a very sex positive. Book, yeah, it's sure. very sex positive. Um, and then also when we go into uh, always remembering uh, intersectionality and the impacts that that has as well. So it was very well researched, but also very well in terms of trying to touch on all the, the web, the web basically <laughs> of all these issues and making sure that everybody's recognized. And it's definitely a great, it's an easy read and it's a yeah. great starting off point. And like I said, all the sources yeah, are it, there. It's most things could have, they could have gone in more in depth for and stuff or could have had their own dedicated book. So it, there are things, you know, missing for sure. Um, there's a couple of viewpoints you may not necessarily agree with or anything, but it is a good, like you said, starting point for sure. It's, it's something that would, could it ease you into these topics, um, without feeling too like a textbook or anything like that. That, that was the really nice thing 
when I say it was an easy read, it didn't feel like I was reading a textbook. Right. Which right. is, which is always it nice. Has like that little flavor of like entertainment almost yeah. or, or just being kind of surface level interesting. But again, there, a lot of it, it would be worth getting more in depth. It would just need a dedicated uh, book for it, for that. And, you know, you just need to write the dancing one. That's just what I'm saying. <laughs> Clearly. Um, yeah. And then. And if you want to go in, this is why I love the fact that the um, work cited is by topic. If you decide you want to go in depth there, the sources are right there and they will right. lead you to more sources and more sources and you can go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I think it's obvious that you and I would both recommend this book. Yes. I also um, just, I, I love it when a book has an awesome title and yes. it a, I was very shocked with how well-researched this was and how they, the author really tried to, to cover so much. Well, cause in, you know, with a book like this, just the fact that feminism's in the title, um, you know, people are going to try and pick it apart. They're oh, going to yeah. try and debunk it. They're going to, so you, she almost has to do that or else she's just not going to be taken seriously. It's, it's a very ambitious book and it's less than 200 pages. So yeah, it was definitely a quick read for sure. Yeah. But yeah, it's a very ambitious book. It's a lot packed into those 200 pages and it's, I would definitely recommend it as like a primer as a starting point. Um, and it could also be it, it could help you find out what you're interested in exactly Are you interested in more on the historical persecution of witches is that what you connected with most or or want to learn more about are you more on today's world and how like um women are persecuted in online spaces that's touched upon are you more concerned about like or more interested rather in like the pop culture thing movies music that sort of stuff because it touches on so many topics it can't go in depth but you can see what you want to look into more yeah. what you just find interesting um so yeah i would definitely recommend it like you said it's an easy and rather quick read it's 156 pages but, you know, a lot of that is your work cited and acknowledgments and that sort of stuff. Um, but, yeah, no, it was a great book. Yeah. We, we were happy with our book read <laughs> today, people. Look at this. The sexy librarians recommending a book. Finally, finally doing what librarians should. <laughs> exactly. We're still we're still building up that like the sex toy. <laughs> yes. Which you will be doing a review for. Yes. One. Oh, yes. Yeah. So as we as we set forth to work on the next episode, um, yeah, I discovered a sex toy section of my bookstore and this was several months ago. And then I go back to get one of the toys to review. The section is gone. So I was like, damn it. Last week I go back again. It is back. So I snagged me one <laughs> of the toys so that I can review it. Um, so I can't imagine ever seeing a shop in my town with sex toys a bookstore rather specifically um but i did go to barnes and noble maybe like last week and they had a roll uh, end cap with uh you know adult novels 
erotica, whatever you want to call it. Oh, they're putting and, them on end caps now. <clears throat> yeah, they had it on an end cap. And it was funny because instead of like reviews or ratings or anything on the little like signs beneath the books, they had peppers. And it was like the <laughs> level of spiciness. So this one's one pepper. This one's three. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny. That's amazing. I love that. That is amazing. Kudos to you, a, bookstore. Yeah, that was probably a way to make it like somewhat kid safe because they probably just wouldn't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Or, oh man, see, now I'm picturing a kid being like, mommy, it's a pepper recipe. <laughs> oh gosh, it's a cookbook. <laughs> My mom would love this. <laughs> Your mom would love it for different reasons. <laughs> yeah, we have one sex shop in my town, but it's technically outside of city limits. It's like I, the last thing when you're leaving town. I love the fact it's technically outside of city limits. And They're, it's right next to the only uh, strip club. Because they oh, aren't allowed wow. within city limits. Oh, wow. So that's why that's where they're why they're there. That's. This is going to sound so weird. That feels so American to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's don't funny know because. If I'm like driving into town, like I've been out of town for whatever reason, and I need to tell somebody that like I'm on my way, um, they'll usually say like, oh, I'm passing the strip club because that way they'll know where I am. Like, oh, she's just getting it down. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, okay. So I think that concludes our episode. I do. Uh, yeah, I think so too. It was a nice episode. And next time it's a, uh, me reviewing the sex toy, not poor sure. <laughs> reviewing it wasn't bad. It wasn't as scarring as reviewing my ads. Reviewing was, the toy <laughs> was fine. There were some iconic ads. Everybody, if you have not heard my birthday special episode from May, <sighs> I recommend you do because Shore gave me the best birthday present oh, ever. Gosh. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure uh, Jerry from Kazakhstan, or one fan in Kazakhstan who I've named Jerry for no particular reason, it has been enjoying that episode. I assume it's playing on repeat. On repeat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us yet again. Um, I will be saying goodbye now. So goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Clam Jammers podcast. Check us out at clamjammers.ca for all your COVID needs.
Hello and welcome. Shut up, Grandpa!